Welcome to the Light Switch Podcast by Luminate Student Ministries, a place for the skeptic, the Bible believer, as well as everyone in between. As you know, our world is often in the dark. Our hope is to flip the switch on topics surrounding biblical engagement, apologetic arguments, spiritual formation, and emotional wellness. We want Jesus Christ to illuminate every aspect of your life so that you can shine the light of Christ in every situation. Hey everybody, this is Matthew, and I am so excited to be introducing to you guys our first biblical engagement podcast. Um, This is something we're super excited about. Uh, This is one of our first times to kind of dive into what it means to engage your Bibles. And so we want to help discuss and dialogue about how do we engage our Bibles. Um, This is done through the practices of hermeneutics, biblical theology, Awesome groups out there like the Bible Project have incredible resources of how to do this. Um, And so we want to um, kind of help uh, equip you and uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, flip the switch on how you engage with the Bible. And so our hope for these episodes is to tackle the idea of biblical engagement and to help kind of change things in your mind on how to engage your Bibles, Um, that it's something that's important, that it has uh, implications for your everyday life. So we'll be having guests on to talk about certain topics. Uh, You'll hear from people such as Pastor Aaron and Daniel um, and other people with backgrounds in theology, biblical studies, as well as apologetics. Uh, which brings me to our first guest uh, we have today. Uh, this is somebody who most of you will probably know. Um, he uh, will be frequenting our podcast platform uh, often, uh, and it's hilarious. I stutter there because I looked up at our guest here, and there's literally five books that are just <laughs> massive tomes sitting in front of him. And then his quaint, sweet little beat up pocket Bible that he has. (laughs) So, um, but without further ado, uh, this is my friend and partner in crime, Randy Pister. Hey Matthew. How are you? I'm well. It's good good to have you, man. Yeah, dude. Um, so before we jump in to all that is Jesus and the problems we see in our society, Randy, can you just tell us a little bit about the mysterious and ever romantic individual we know as Randy? (laughs) That's a a tall order, a a tall uh, description to fulfill. But yeah, my name is Randy. I have been a member at Keystone now for a number of years. I've been privileged to preach a few times, work with the student ministry and and Pastor Matthew and Pastor Aaron. I live here in Saline. I'm an attorney by by trade and uh, have a graduate degree in apologetics and used to be a pretty ardent skeptic and am now uh, uh, someone who loves to talk about theology and read the Bible and just understand what we believe, why we believe it, yeah. and, and why it's so important uh, yeah. for life. And so excited to talk about our great Savior today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you are using the Keystone Church app or you are um, checking out their website, we also have a podcast where Randy and I uh, sat down and talked <clears throat> about the topic of truth, what truth is, how do we know what it is, um, is it reliable, is it objective for everyone everywhere always, or can a person create their own um, so you can check that out as well if you want to hear more on those kind of apologetic topics. And that that's actually one of the other things that Randy will be helping us out a lot with is uh, because, as you heard him say, he has a master's degree in apologetics. Uh, he will be actually joining our apologetic uh, episodes that we'll be having. So we're actually going to be having topics. Uh, our next topic that we're going to be tackling is what does it mean to be human? 
Um, I think our ta- the the subject is subway and subhuman. I think is what it is. So we'll probably have to get sandwiches or something. We will for that. I like to eat. <laughs> well, can you imagine us just sitting here? Eating into the microphone. Be I some really know. good edit sound editing <laughs> equipment to get all the chewing. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. 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 Um, but one of the things, Randy, I love about uh, you and your story is, and I just want to quick touch on this, is um, it's often said that arguments have never saved anyone. And uh, I just want to hear your response quickly to that kind of idea that, you know, all we really need to do is get people to open their Bibles and just get them to engage with their Bibles because arguments really don't, it's got to be all the power of the Holy Spirit. Arguments are the only thing that really, arguments don't ever really save anybody. It's, it's all about the Holy Spirit. And so like, I just would love to hear your perspective before we dive into literally talking about Jesus, who is the savior. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm a, I'm a good living counter example to that notion. I think that I, I understand that that position of it's it's almost like a false dichotomy, you yeah. know. It's it's either or. To me, it's really both and. Yeah. Um. Certainly, the work of the Holy Spirit is is uh, instrumental. In fact, we we can't be saved without the work of without the work of God. You, you yeah. look at John six, um, for example. The theologians call that prevenient grace. If you yeah. want the uh, fifty cent term, <laughs> for, fifty cent for that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, at my prior church, I would give sermons, and the the pastor would. I would use words and he'd read my script or my, for my message as it were. And he'd say like, that's, that's a 50 cent word. That's a 25 cent word, you know, tone that down a little bit. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess it's a hazard of being an English major, but um, <laughs> no, it, it's, it, I think it's both. And if you look at the book of acts, you see all kinds of interesting verbs. Like they, they reasoned, they persuaded, they argued, yes. they, you know, and lots of other like action verbs connoting this idea of, you know, engaging the mind, you know, engaging in, in argumentation, not being argumentative, but just presenting a logical or evidence-based case. Uh, Acts 17, Paul, you know, in, in Athens and Mars Hill is a great example of that. He appeals to their sort of catch-all idol to an unknown God and, you know, you know, hooks that into, or uses that as like a springboard to present yeah. the gospel. And so it's, it, it's both and. Uh, I came to Christ because there were people, I found out later, ardently praying for me. But there were also arguments, so yeah. I think it's it's not either or. It's, yeah. it's absolutely both and. And I love it. Acts is a great, great example of that. Yeah. And as we're going to see today, the church has done a lot of um, over the centuries really deep and important thinking. At times, one might say philosophical in nature yeah. about you know how do you have a God man? Right. <laughs> how do you have someone like Jesus Christ? Yeah. 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 So um, I thank you for that because I think that that's so important because there's. What we're going to talk about is not just biblical content today. There is a lot of philosophy and reason that's going to go into it. Um, So let's dive in. Sure. Cool. So as we kind of jump into this space today, uh, our topic for today is Jesus Christ. Um, fully human, fully God, or as some have said, truly human, truly God. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, let's let's kind of first establish the problem, if you will. Um, so what are so what we're looking at here is is what are people talking? How, how are people talking about Jesus today? Who is he? Who are they saying he is? Those kinds of things. And um, a Barna just did a huge study on teenagers, right? We're, we're a part mm-hmm. of a student ministry. This podcast is for everybody. Um, but this is a, a 
predominantly a, a teens ministry, teen ministry that we're, we're running. And Barna just did a study on 24,870 teens globally, um, 13 to 17 year olds. And so this is what they said uh, as far as Jesus. Uh, and so Randy, I would love, there's some, some, some interesting things here. Uh, but when they were asked about statements of whether or not he was, uh, whether or not these statements were true, uh, there was two that really stood out to me. And the first one was his existence of all of these teens. 32% of the teens said he was real. Only 32% claimed that he was a real historical person. And so before we even dive into what we have do you have any information lodged in that brain of yours about him being a real person? Yeah. And I know we've touched on this in a different podcast as well and would encourage uh, listeners to go check that one out as well. But yeah, yeah the, the, there are numerous skeptics, uh, probably the, one of the most prominent would certainly be someone like a Bart Ehrman mm. prominent in the sense of like, he's written at a very popular level. He's very, he's been on the, the daily show and the Colbert show yeah. back in the day. And, um, but yeah, he's his his existence is is he's the most best attested figure from all of antiquity, hands down. Yeah, uh, we know he exists for, not just from New Testament sources, um, which are some of which are independent of each other. For example, Mark and John, no one regards them as borrowing from each other. That's mm-hmm. two sources right there, which are talking about a real guy. But there are a number of Greek, some call them Greek, some call them pagan, and Roman sources, some Jewish sources that 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 confirm that Jesus Christ was absolutely a real historical figure. Um, I mean, even now, the um, in the you know people you ask who are, do people say he is? One community is the um, there's a whole thriving industry in the, in the academic world of historical Jesus studies. Yeah, they're now on not, not their first but their third, maybe yep. their maybe started their fourth quest. Yep. It's, it's called a new quest. But they <laughs> and there's a very famous um, British theologian named N.T. Wright. He coined the term you know third quest. But for centuries, they've been studying this figure of Jesus Christ as a historical figure. Um, you know, some some Christians, some very skeptical non-Christian, trying to demythologize him, take the miracles out of the Gospels, whatever. We can. That's a whole different podcast. But yeah, um, yeah. Rest assured, he he's a real historical figure. It, it is only you know internet skeptics and <laughs> trolls <laughs> and and truly truly fringe scholars. I could cite a, a list of over a dozen atheist and Jewish New Testament scholars, and there are Jewish New Testament scholars who would. Say without a doubt, absolutely, and they've written on this, refuting yeah. other atheist New Testament scholars to say you're basically if you don't think this guy was real, you've one you're nuts. It's a fringe position. Two, he's the best attested guy in all of antiquity. If you yeah. think if you doubt that he existed, <laughs> you really arguably you shouldn't believe anyone existed. Yeah, because you have Christian, Jewish, and pagan sources all confirming his like yeah. the contours of his life. Right. Just uh, even taking the Christian sources out, if you have a Jewish source that says that Jesus was real the Jews don't like Jesus all that much because he claimed to be the son of God. And that was ultimately what ended up getting him killed. Yeah. You right? want, you one so, of those is the, is the Talmud. I think it's maybe Sanhedrin 43 and, sure. and a, a very influential uh, Jewish historian named Joseph Flavius Josephus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He, he wrote a number of, of really important works. He talks about Jesus. He talks about John the Baptist. He talks about yeah. Jesus's half brother, James. Yeah. Um, those are a couple of the, the Jewish sources. And then yeah. the Romans, it's people from, Suetonius um, yeah. to just uh, Pliny the Younger. Yeah. Needless to say, yeah, it's ample if, evidence. Ample evidence, and it's actually quite sad to hear that t- out of the globe, twenty four thousand eight hundred and seventy teens between the ages of thirteen and seventeen, only thirty two percent would say that it's true. He was a real person, 
right? Take all the miracles away. Just, let's just, he's not the son of God. Let's just make that statement. Like, let's just say that that's what, what is there. There was a dude named Jesus that walked around, claimed to be the son of God and was crucified for that claim. Yep. Like that's just, that, that is historically factual. And, and the myth, the, they're called mythicists, that Jesus was a myth. You have, mm. you know, Lewis's trilemma, Lord, lunatic, or liar. He yep. had a fourth legend. Yep. Um, the reason that they would argue, or the, the mythicists would say, well, he's he's an amalgamation or, or yeah. an invention based on pagan myths of dying and rising gods. There are a couple issues with that very quickly. One, um, nearly all of those accounts, I think with one exception of Osiris in Egypt, which is a vastly different legend, yeah. um, post-date Christianity. In other words, these legends arise after Jesus, not before. <laughs> That's um, fascinating. Habermas and Lacona write about that in their book on the resurrection. But yeah. the, the reason other skeptical you know, atheistic, like Bart Ehrman would say, well, that that's a crazy theory is that yeah. that would just would not take root yeah. in the, the monotheistic soil of, you know, Jewish first century Palestine, like right. for Jews to come to worship um, this sort of pagan, you know, hodgepodge of, of legends yeah. and, and go to their, their martyrdom for that. And, you know, it just, it's not the kind of idea that would catch on in, in yeah. a, in a Jewish context, a monotheistic right. context right. Uh, in ancient, you know, Roman yeah. Palestine. It just wouldn't. Yeah the soil was not right for that kind yeah. of uh, uh, imagination right. or imaginatory right. or imaginative story. And right. So just a quick, uh, just to define some of those terms, monotheistic would mean a singular God. There's only one Supreme being. Um, and that would be the religions of Islam, uh, Judaism and Christianity are the most prominent of those uh, worldviews as we would understand them as monotheists. You have pantheists, all those kinds of things. We can get into those in a different podcast, but we're talking about Jesus. This same study asked the question about his resurrection. Uh, so we know he's a real person. We know he was crucified for claiming to be uh, the son of God. But this is a real question that is, I think, even Paul claims is the linchpin mm-hmm. of our religion, of our faith. Uh, and of all of the teens, it's really close to the same number. Of all of the teens, uh, only 33% said that it was true that he was raised from the dead. Um, and so like... That's another really important thing that and we can have a whole nother podcast. We did a whole series on this in 2020 on the history of the resurrection. Right. Um, and so it's just it's just really interesting for us to see uh, these ideas. So really quickly, again, we're establishing the problem here. Uh, and so let's there's a, a really cool survey that's been put out. It's called the state of theology. Uh, Three thousand and eleven people have been have been surveyed. Uh, and here's the first statement. Uh, Randy, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but. Uh, this is a statement. The, this is the first statement regarding Jesus within this. There's three statements we're going to look at. And this is the first one. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And we would obviously say that that's a, a false statement. Um, that's a wrong answer in a theology test. If yeah. You're a, if you're in seminary. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about why. Yeah. And so 55% of the respondents agreed either strongly or somewhat agreed with this statement that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God out of all the third, the 3,011 people, 55% of them agreed with the statement. Um, and only 32% disagreed. And so it's just, there's just so many problems with saying that particular statement, saying it that way again. So, uh, then, um, uh, statement, the, the next statement regarding Jesus is Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 
53% of the respondents agreed with that statement. Only 36% didn't agree. Okay. And then the last, the last one is Jesus is Christ. This is, I saw, I thought this was so weird. You've got these two statements at the very beginning. Jesus was the first and greatest being created by God. And then you have Jesus was just a good teacher, but he was not God. And then this statement comes along. Jesus Christ's death is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And 64% of the respondents agreed with that statement. While only 36 disagreed. 36% disagreed. It's just so weird to me. I don't, I don't understand that. I mean, do you, I, as I read that, like, what's your reaction to that? Like, how can that be? Yeah, I mean, I, I think part of the, the first one could be um, a confusion over terms. Okay. The idea, and you know, this, and I've, I've got my, my book cracked open to the, to the, the Nicene Creed, how he's, you know, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made. Yeah. There could be confusion between, Okay, what does it mean to be begotten but not made? made? Yeah, uh, maybe they're conflating, you know, first being created w- with begottenness. Yeah. This whole idea of, of being begotten. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there's something. You and I are both students of theology and, and nerd out on this stuff, so <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can I could spot what's wrong, but yeah, why? I, I see the disconnect. If you don't if you don't think he's God, yeah, um, you know that's. I would question how could he, how could his sacrifice, how could one man, just yeah. one man, save all of humanity? Right. That seems sort of like a godlike task. Yeah. So it seems yeah incongruent or like yeah. just misaligned to say he's not God, but right. he could, for a, a small you know minority or plurality, whatever you want to call it, to say he's not God, but then yeah. a majority to say, but he can save us. Right. That's that's why I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but that's why you need a God man. Yeah. In order to have what's called the atonement, that was yeah. one of my my things in mind for today. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. Uh, it's a medieval term. It literally means at one mint. Yeah. Jesus made us at one with the father. He put, yes. he, um, he got rid of the, of the, of our guilt, of our sin, of our, and not just positioned us neutrally. Yeah. Like you, you've, you've got this negative problem of sin, Yeah. but he doesn't just make us neutral. We also get righteousness imputed to us right. through him, but We're that's elevated, right? Yeah. You are no longer, well, how does Paul say it in Romans? Uh, you are not just conquerors, but co-heirs. Yes, Christ. Right. Yeah. So, so we're positionally justified and made righteous, and all that's yeah. done on the cross. That's the atonement. That's the the um, the the the, the full term is penal substitutionary atonement. It yeah. was a it was a punishment. God's wrath was poured out. Yep. Um, his justice was done. Yep. Uh, Christ did it willing, willingly. Was yeah. not child abuse. As yeah. some right. People like to say it was an act of love and, and right. service for us. And but that's but and what's beautiful about that is is that that is that is the nature of God. You see that quoted throughout Scripture all the time. He's slow to anger, just lo- full of loyal covenant love, right? Um, but he will not allow the sins of the generations to to go unpunished. Uh, you see this in Exodus thirty four verse six and seven. Uh, it's the most quoted verse of mm-hmm. like the Old Testament, and it's all described. It's G- it's literally God describing himself. Um, and then all of the prophets after that pick up on that same, that same thing. So to land the plane with this first section, there's a problem. And the problem is there is a lot of confusion around who Jesus is. Was he created? Was he not? Was he God? Was he man? Was he both? How could that be? Is he 100% God and 100% man? Like there's a, there's a, the 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 thing we're addressing in this space is there is a problem with the way our world sees Jesus and we hope to kind of shed some light on that yep. topic. So 
Uh, so let's let's jump into our next spot because I think it's really important for us to kind of shift gears here to see what does Jesus say about himself. Um, and and we can touch on this really quickly, but in Scripture, you hear Jesus says a lot of things, but he does make some claims about himself. And I'm thinking specifically about the crucifixion. Um, Herod, not Herod. Pilate. Pilate, thank you. Yeah, Pilate comes to him and says, um, essentially says, who do you think you are? And who's giving you this authority or 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 whatever? And Jesus responds with something really interesting. He First, he doesn't respond. And then he responds with, the authority I've been given, uh, you would have no authority over me if it had not been given to you from my father. And it's like, whoa. You just made a claim that Jesus, that God is your father. There's a, there's a, there's a connection between you and, and God, the, the father. So that means that you're his son, right? So then, so even out of Jesus's own mouth, he is claiming to be at least in some respect, a son of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, do you have any other passages offhand before you, before we dive into the, the rest of our theological issues as far as oh, yeah, Jesus is. <laughs> I mean, a whole, a whole host of them. I mean, he, um, he claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. That was a, a you know, yes. prerogative belonging solely to, to God. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, all the I am statements in the gospel of John, I yes. am the way, the truth and the life. Yes. No one comes to the father except through me. Yes. It's a very exclusive <laughs> statement. Yeah. I am the bread of life. I'm the yeah. light of the world. Yes. Um, which just in case anybody's uh, uh, misunderstanding what we're trying to say here, uh, when Jesus makes a statement of I am, he is referencing back to the statement in Exodus where God reveals himself, Yahweh reveals himself to Moses. And he uses this phrase, I am what I am. Uh, and it's this Hebrew uh, phrase that, that Yahweh uses. Uh, and so Jesus is making a connection. There's tons of scholars that have pointed this out. Jesus is making a connection with these I am statements and saying, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. When he uses that phrase, he is being very, very intentional with it. So yeah, so keep going, Randy. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, and in John eight fifty eight, before Abraham was born, I am. That's not a he's not confused about grammar. Like and <laughs> yeah. they pick up stones to, to stone him for blasphemy. My my favorite, it's a little bit obscure, um, at least on the surface, but it's Mark fourteen uh verse sixty one to sixty two. So Jesus is on trial. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One yeah. and coming on the clouds of heaven. And he's doing two, th- and then the reaction, the high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? Yes. yes. You have heard the blasphemy. What is he doing there? He's he's doing two things. Um, he's he's referencing Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm, mm-hmm. and he's describing him. So throughout the Gospels, he uses this title, Son of Man, Pretty much all New Testament scholars that I've ever read or heard about, I mean, they in my in my studies agree like that's an authentic saying of Jesus. It's not something that it, it, he's likely to you know to have been invented by the church. It yep. seems very authentic to his message and yep. shows up in, in different gospels and yep. but not later in the the letters of of the apostles like Paul and yeah. But he's he's referencing sitting um, at the right hand of the mighty one and coming at the cloud on the clouds of heaven. That's. That's God's seat. That's God's position of authority. That's yep. that's Psalm one ten, yep. and he calls himself Son of Man. 
And that's a reference to Daniel uh, 7, which yep. is a divine... So he's basically saying, I'm the divine son of man from yeah. Daniel, and, and you'll see me coming on the clouds of heaven from Psalm 110. And, and that's why the high priest, the high priest is, he's a very literate, you know, yeah. legal scholar. He knows exactly what Jesus is saying. Yeah. Jesus is claiming in very unambiguous first century Jewish terms yes. to be God, in addition to all the statements we mentioned in, in John, in addition right. to his behavior, he forgives sins, he drives out demons, he cures leprosy. If you read the Old Testament, uh, Naaman shows up in Israel and asks to be healed of leprosy by the king, and the king yeah. freaks out. He's like, who can do that but God alone? Yeah. He accepts, Jesus accepts worship. <laughs> he behaves and speaks and acts in a manner of somebody who clearly taught and thought and acted and believed like he was God. Yeah. Um, that's why I struggle with him just being a good teacher. Right. Because if that's true, then he's Lord, and if he's lying... I don't know too many good moral teachers that are, you know, <laughs> habitual <laughs> narcissistic liars. Yeah. Um, or he's crazy. And that, yeah. that, that's the lunatic part. But he right. doesn't strike people right. as a, and again, uh, Lee Strobel and Case for Christ really impacts this beautifully. I, I commend his book yeah. to anyone who's interested. But yeah, Mark yeah. Mark 14, when he's on trial, is actually a very, if you know the background, a very explicit statement of, yeah. of his own deity. Yeah. So again, there's a problem with how the world is seeing Jesus. It's mainly due to the lack of biblical engagement and, and sadly biblical ignorance around the idea of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he says about himself. And so a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, this was written by the, the, the disciples and they were trying to just kind of make something up because they needed to, you know, create this movement that would ultimately provide well, death for them, I guess. And and people all try to make this argument that they were trying to, you know, pursue power and pursue all these things. And it is a complete and utter fringe argument in all honesty, but it's been so widely accepted by a lot of the common people <clears throat> around the idea of who Jesus, particularly in America, because I see this idea of, of oppression and oppressed. And all it is, is this idea that the gospel writers were just trying to gain power and it ultimately got them death. So it, it they, they didn't, weren't trying to get power. They were trying to de- describe what actually happened, the things that they actually saw, the things they actually heard Jesus say, and that we have outside of the Bible evidence that he has said. And so uh, it's beautiful to hear. Randy, I thank you for uh, talking about that Mark. Mark 14, right? 66, you said? Uh, 61 to about 63. Yeah, yeah. It's just so beautiful to hear uh, Jesus' own words when he talks about that. And this is where it gets fun. Uh, because this is where Randy, this is why Randy is here. Um, we are talking about in this next space, the, what can we know from historical theology and theology proper about this man and this, this God man, Jesus, cause you've used that term a couple times, mm-hmm. God man, right? Yep. Um, and so we, we kind of want to unpack in not. 90, se- 90 minutes, yeah. uh, but also not 90 seconds. How is it possible uh, for Jesus to be, and I'm going to use this idea purposefully because you had said you don't like this idea, um, and I want you to kind of unpack that for me. How is it that God, Jesus can be 100% man and 100% God? So, 
because I, as a math major, that adds up to 200%. And, <laughs> and we're talking about a, a person here. Yeah. yeah and he, he can't be 200%. Yeah, yeah. I hope you both, I hope everybody's heard this so far. Randy is probably one of the humblest people I know. And he has just told you about not just one, but two of his majors from the University of Michigan. He said at the beginning he was an English major. He also double majored in pure mathematics. That's the title of his degree, pure mathematics. This means abstract. <laughs> okay, yeah. so he is uber nerd, okay? <laughs> so tell us, how is it possible that he can be 100% God and 100% man? Yeah, can I, can I touch on Chalcedon real quick? Yeah, yeah, go for it. So this is something that the early church really had to wrestle with. Um, yeah, this is the Chalcedon... Or Ch- yeah, Chalcedon, Chalcedonian definition that you're about to yep. bring up, right? Yeah, I mean, so for the first couple of centuries of Christianity, there were no church councils because if they gathered in big groups, the Romans would have conveniently just killed them all. <laughs> yeah, um, it wasn't until hey guys, thanks for bringing yourselves all to one space. <laughs> this is so helpful. <laughs> so, so then you get Constantine coming to power. I think it's around in the, in the 310s. There's um, basically like Christianity becomes legal and safe. Mm-hmm. The first councils in 325. That's the count the the Council of Nicaea. There's a creed. Later, there's a Nicene Creed in 381. Um, again, this is a church count, like Nicene in 325. There were bishops coming from as far as Britannia, England, and like Alexandria and Egypt, like all over the yeah the the several continents, yeah. really. So in 300 years, not even, 200 years, right? 200-ish, 200-ish yep. years, the Jesus movement has made its way from Egypt all the way up into to Britain. Britain. Yep. That's, in, that's incredible in and of itself. Yep. One dude walked around the earth for, thir- for three years. And that's how far his movement went. Yeah. So, yeah, so, anyway, so, so the church had a number of councils, and Chalcedon in 451 was kind of the last big church council where it's east and west. Yep. Everyone's there. Yep. And they, they were trying to understand, you know, Nicaea is trying to figure out the Trinity, yep. uh, which obviously Jesus is the, the Logos. Uh, yep. God the Son's a part of that. So Chalcedon was to try to, to tease out, and, and they don't actually say, how you can have a God man. And yeah. that's a hyphenated term. God hyphen, hyphen man. man, like, like Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider hyphen man. Yeah. Um, they, they affirm four things about him. Um, I, I have the creed. I won't read it unless you, you tell me I should. Yeah. Um, uh, we would have to spend the next probably 30 minutes unpacking all of the terms. So <laughs> but it's, it's this idea that he's truly God and truly man. Basically, if you picture a rectangle, um, you can call, I call it the theological sandbox yeah. at, at the top. You've got, Truly God at the bottom, truly man. Yes. And on the right, you've got one person. On the left, you've got two natures. So he's truly God, truly man. I don't. I don't like to say 100 percent or or full, even fully. It's it's truly like he's truly God. Yep. He is God. Yes. He is man. Yes. He's one person. Yes. With two natures, a yeah. human nature and a divine nature. Yeah. If you go outside any of those four boundaries of the sandbox, you end up with one of the many confusingly named heresies of the, <laughs> yeah. the early church. Yeah. Um. Like you, you and and critism, or uh, there was one and, and critism. Apollinarianism, Arianism. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they're they're I think they're close to a dozen. Over. Yeah. Um. But so it's again fully God, or not even, even yeah. I keep stumbling to that. Yeah. Truly God, truly, truly, God man, truly man, one person, two natures. Yep. That's that's as far as they went. How those all fit together? That's what that's the the grist of theologians writing doctoral theses and you know <laughs> yeah. and getting their getting their their. Um, PhDs on a PhDs word. And, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of work. And, and we can talk about that. Um, I have some, some, if there's time for some sure. of that, but it's, so that was posited as a solution just to explain the biblical data. Yeah. The Chalcedon 
de- definition is what yep. you're saying, which again, let's just recap really quickly because Randy does talk fast. Uh, at the top, you've got full, truly God. At the bottom, you've got truly man. On the right, you've got single individual. One person. One person. Yep. And on the left, you've got uh, two natures. A human nature and a divine nature. Human nature and divine yep. nature. If you go outside of any of those parameters within what Randy has called the... I guess you could call it the incarnational sandbox. Yep. If, if you go outside of any of those parameters, you are stepping into what the Chalcedonian definition says is heretical. Yep. And Correct. this has been, yeah, just the view of the, the, the church for, right. for over millennia right. easily. Um, it's, and again, it's, it's like, it's like the Trinity It's not a, it's not a problem. It's a solution to a problem. You, you see in scripture, there's one God over and over and over again, but three persons who are, that God, Father, right. Son, Holy Spirit. You right. see in the New Testament, he's clearly a, a human. He yeah. dies on a cross. Yeah. Oh, the Bible Project talks about this. Okay, so the uh, in Mo, in the I'll give you an example in the Old Testament. Uh, the burning bush. It says the angel of the Lord is in the is is mm-hmm. is in the burning bush. But when Yahweh sees that Moses turned and saw the bush, then apparently the angel of the Lord is causing the bush to burn and is in the bush. But Yahweh speaks to Moses. There's this immediate flip of the title that's given mm-hmm. to this person. Um, then Jacob wrestles uh, an angel, uh, and that angel is a, is said to be a personification of the angel of the Lord, right? Yep. Because he's at the the threshing floor of the gates of heaven. He's at the uh, the entrance to heaven, right? And you see this person all over the place. The Bible Project does a phenomenal job of summarizing this. You should check that out. It's called The Angel of the Lord uh, in their uh, Supernatural or Spiritual Beings uh, series. But but yeah, so that's a, a, the example of what you're saying is he's the Logos. He's the son. But then in Genesis 1, you see he's the whole, the whole, the spirit was hovering over the waters, right? Mm-hmm. Just before creation, right? So you're seeing, and then, but then you see that Yahweh speaks and creation is created. So there's right there, there are your three beings that are all seen to be the identical singular Yahweh, the singular God that the Judaic Israelic uh, people would have believed in. And if you want the biblical data for this, I mean, Philippians 2, uh, 5 and following is probably the, there are many places you could look. This is probably chief among them. And this, this stuff predates Paul. I mean, he, scholars agree, like he's not making this up. He's passing along something he'd received earlier whether it was a creed, whether it was a hymn, we don't really know. But, you know, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And theologians call this Jesus' state of humiliation. During his yeah. time on earth, he was in, in a state of humiliation. Right. You know, he had bad breath. He went to the bathroom. He got <laughs> yeah. tired. Yeah. Although, all, he was he was very human. And, Skinned and his knee. Like, incarnation. That word yeah. carn, it, it literally means like meat or yes. flesh. Like yes. he, the Logos took on meat is how yes. one, one um, book I'm reading right now put it. That's awesome. But he, it says, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So you've, again, you've got this, he's clearly human. Yep. Paul's making clear he's also clearly God. Yep. So that's why you need the two natures. Yep. Um, because the human nature can die on the cross, but a divine nature can't die. Correct. Because God is a, what's called a necessary being. He can't not exist. Yes. He is the greatest possible being, as Pastor Matthews talked about in yes. podcasts and in a recent sermon. Um, so 
you also need a God man to have an atonement to yes. pay for our sin. Yeah. You need a human who can associate with us, be like us, be our representative, right. but also a God who can pay the penalty for all of humanity's sin. Correct. Which is a, a, a debt so infinite that no mortal alone could, could satisfy, which is why the statistics you read earlier struck me as, as odd. That's yeah. why you need a God man um, with two natures. Now, how can someone have two natures? The, the really quick answer is if you think of nature uh, for a person, it's kind of like a checklist. So a, a person yes. has an intellect. You know, yes. they have a rational mind. Yes. Um, they, have a, they have emotions. Yes. They have a will. You're, you're touching on the philosophical idea of what we know as essential attributes. Yep, of a, a personhood. Yeah. Yep. And so the Lagos had all those. And those are all the same things you need to be a human person, except there's one that's missing, and so you need to be meat. You, you, you need meat. You, you need a body. A body. <laughs> and so when the Lagos took on a body, um, which is why the virgin birth is so important, mm -hmm. that's when he took on a second nature. Yeah. He literally just needed to add a body, yeah. and he had all the he had all the, the necessary properties right. for personhood already as a Lagos, as a right. divine person. Right. And so those map over. Right. Just as well to, to human personhood. Yeah. Um, now you might say, well, well, human humans are finite. God is infinite. Yeah. And so, how could the infinite become finite? And that's where there's a, there's a brilliant book called um, The Logic of God Incarnate, and they're what are called essential properties and common properties. Yeah. It's common that humans are finite. It's yes. common that humans have certain things, but it's not necessary to humanness. Correct. It's not essential to humanness that we're that we're finite. This yeah. is common. So, yeah. so the infinite logos can. Um, you know, take on flesh and still be a human or still, still have a human nature. Yeah. But it'd be weird if Jesus is walking around two persons in one body. He'd yeah. be like a somebody, you know, with just schizophrenia is the wrong yeah. term, but just some sort of strange disorder where there's not one unified will, one unified yeah. person in that body. And right. so that's why Chalcedon and the church fathers, you know, tease that out. It's yeah. one, one person right. with two natures a God man. Right. And you, without that, you don't have an atonement. You don't have forgiveness. You don't have a great high priest. Um, that's why we need the virgin birth. That's why yep. we need, um, you know, to have a, a God man, a, a human alone can't save us. And a God alone couldn't be our representative. Couldn't identify with us. Couldn't be our great high priest. Couldn't be our sacrifice. These are the historical facts that you are articulating. These are the things from the Bible mm -hmm. that you're talking about. And philosophy, theology, those things are upholding what the Bible is saying. And so if we, this is the next portion of the set of this, of our space. What happens if we don't uphold this orthodoxy? What happens if we don't, what happens if we just let this, these teens keep thinking Jesus isn't even a real person He's just a myth. What happens if we don't adhere to this idea that God, the God man was really, truly, truly God and truly man? What happens? I'd say uh, despair. Yeah. So this is the, this is the, so what part? So there's a, a book, it came out like, I don't know, maybe a week ago. So I, I've not worked through it. <laughs> oh my goodness. You're already so far. Oh no, I, I skipped ahead to the incarnation. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's by Christopher Watkin, uh, W-A-T-K-I-N. It's called Biblical Critical Theory. Yeah. How the Bible's unfolding story makes sense of modern life and culture. Uh, mm -hmm. Timothy Keller did the foreword. Okay. It seems brilliantly written, very well researched. Um, and it's this whole idea of how the truths of the Bible 
he calls it diagonalization. So, for example, you might have, you know, two opposing views and in, in, that are intention or the culture sets them up or politics or theology or whatever. And it's like, no, God bridges both of those. Um, so the example of, of the cross, um, you know, God is holy and just. He has to punish sin. He's also compassionate and merciful. Yeah. So a, a, a just God will punish sin. A merciful God will want to forgive it. How can he do both? Yeah. Um, that's the cross is the only place and point in time where justice, love, mercy, and forgiveness all meet in one person on one cross in one moment, or I guess several hours, but like that one final moment when he's forsaken for us. Um, so th- this, this author is noting that, um, you know, the, the, he comments how the idea of God as a personal agent can become unattractive and threatening to, to a modernity fashioning itself as the master and possessor of the natural world. So, um, you know, there's a very famous Christian uh, existentialist called Soren Kierkegaard. He notes that if Christ is reduced to a fiction and a mythology, he can make no claims upon actuality. Mm. Um, so, you know, around the, the end of the First World War, uh, there began this drift away from a personal deity that led to a growing sense that events in this world are unguided, random, and cruel. And then you get into the um, the, the skeptics of, you know, the, the, the middle um, 20th century, people like Albert Camus and his notion of the absurd in which the unstoppable force of the human desire for meaningfulness mm. meets the immovable object of an indifferent and meaningless universe. Mm. So when you lose a personal God, um, there's no one left to be angry at but ourselves. There's no more meaning. There's no more purpose. There's no more. There's no more hope. So he he calls um, Christianity not uh, not a not a meta narrative. Meta means like beyond. We think of of Facebook, but he calls it a, yeah. a, a meso narrative meso um meaning middle between or amidst mm. it's how the the incarnation makes us rethink the distinction between the mundane here and the ultimate beyond um you know christ the word truth and life appears in the midst of this world dirty fingernails and all to dwell among us the story does not take place in a neverland beyond the reality of our experience so it's this idea if you don't have a personal god if, if there's no god if there's no incarnation God is either just not there. He's this abstract being. Yeah. There's no personal God. Um, it not just it's not speculation. Like his point is, look, look at the past century. It has led to despair, to absurdity, to the sense that the universe is cold and cruel and unguided and random. Um, yeah. You know, it's just this, this idea of an absent God, and it's just it, it's led to it's just led to a lot of hopelessness and, and despair. And yeah. you see that played out in, I think in wars and in culture. And yeah. so that's, that's what's at stake. It's not yeah. just theologians, you know, theologians and church councils from centuries ago. It's, it's a true sense of, of like hope and meaning. Yeah. Um, if there's no personal God, that's, that's what's at stake. I mean, what you're talking about is, is all of the problems that are, are this generation is facing the anxiety of the future, the brokenness of culture, the oppressiveness of government, the, the what you're talking about is all of the things that Christ comes to say, no, those are the those are the ways of Nimrod. Those are the ways of the characters of the Bible. And just read the Bible and you'll see all of these archetypes playing out as contrary to how it was intended to be. And um man, we have so much more we need to talk about. Um but let's uh we do need to land this plane Randy. Um maybe we can come back and do some more uh on this the same topic, but I so appreciate what you're saying because what you're talking about is you're talking about a Jesus, a God who came down into the for- the form who took on flesh 
and dwelt among us in order that we can have hope because of all of the brokenness that's going on in this world and that he would willingly go to suffer the worst, most agonizing death. And what's so beautiful about this is that we're not making this up. We don't benefit from this only in that we have eternal life with him. And so like for us to make this up, for people to just make this up, we have already talked about at the very beginning, he was real. He said these things. He did these things. And so the ultimate, the, the only thing to ask is, is what are you going to do with that? And at the end of the day, what are you going to decide about Jesus? He said he's the only way to the Father. He said he's the only thing that will truly bring you into eternal joy. So what are you going to do with that? And that's like the ultimate question. If there's historical facts and there's theological and philosophical evidence to uphold it, what are we going to do about that? And uh, so if you're listening and you're intrigued by that idea, we would love to sit down and talk with you. Leave comments on our uh, stuff and um, you can send me an email and we can have a conversation. Matthew at keystonechurch.us <laughs> and I'll gladly get coffee with you. I'll even buy. So, um, but Randy, do you have any final thoughts that you would like to, uh, conclude with? Yeah, I would just encourage anyone, um, explore the person of Jesus Christ. You know, certainly yeah. don't, don't take our word for it. No. Um, if you read the Quran, he's busy telling you who he's not. <laughs> he's not the son of God. He's not part of a, not the third of a three. Yeah. It even gets the Trinity wrong. Um, yeah. You know, if you read Deepak Chopra, Jesus realized he's divine and, and you need to make that same realization yourself. Yeah. That's a new age Jesus. I think anytime yeah. Jesus looks too much like our culture, yeah. our political views, yeah. ourselves, we've remade him in our image <laughs> when, um, when in fact we're made in, in his. So yeah. um, I would encourage you read the gospels, read them as historical documents. You don't have to believe that they're an errant, inspired, um, well-preserved, any of that. Just just read them with an open mind uh, and encounter the words of Christ. I'd, in, in three short, and this is, a, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a, a story named Lecky from a century and a half ago, but he said that in three short years, the person of Jesus Christ has had more impact on the entire world than, than anyone else in history, than, than all the philosophers and all the moralizers. Just three short years of an itinerant, wandering, first century Palestinian rabbi from a backwater village <laughs> and, and an obscure family. Why is that? Why is he still of such interest, even to atheists and skeptics? Yeah. Why do they study him? Yeah. Why, why would such a figure be so compelling? Um, read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John. These are biographies. That's the genre in which they were written. Yes. Read his biographies, listen to his words, um, preserved by his, his apostles and, and those who knew the apostles, and yeah. judge for yourself. Yeah. Man, Randy, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be able to be kicking these things off with you and to be Likewise. able to be uh, doing this. I'm I'm literally choking up just talking about how important this is. And your words there are so beautiful. In three short years, he walked around this earth. And in 2022, or well, it's 2023. In 2023, we're still talking about him. In 2023, Anno Domini, year of our Lord. Yeah. We even based our calendar off. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know you've had an impact on history when when all you know the the Western <laughs> yeah the whole Western world e- changes their dating system even common era and before common era fine yeah. what's sort of the common era it's yeah still it's still Jesus it's, it's still you know kind of pegged to when Jesus you know was born roughly yeah um, <laughs> so 
Man, that's wonderful. All right. Uh, well, hey, everybody. We are so thankful for you sticking around with us. I know this was a bit of a long podcast, but we hope you found this wonderful, this edifying, encouraging. Keep the faith. Keep thinking uh, and, and pursue truth at all costs. Um, and maybe we missed something. Maybe there's something that we're not bringing into account. We would love to hear from you. Um, we would love to, if you have questions, you can submit them to, to me, um, Matthew at KeystoneChurch.us. It's Matthew at KeystoneChurch.us. The email will be in the show notes. Um, but other than that, guys, we're so glad that we were able to do this with you. And Randy, I can't thank you enough, man. Thank you. Thanks for, glad to be here. Thanks for taking a lunch to come and talk about this with us. My pleasure. Awesome. All right, we'll see you guys later.